Good morning, great men and women of God. I know Roland asked a couple questions. I got another question for you this morning. How many of you are good at waiting? I got one person good at waiting. Everyone else is like, yeah, we're in that boat. Uh, waiting is difficult. We are not generally people good with waiting. And yet Christmas is a big time of waiting. Waiting in lines. Waiting for Santa. Waiting for relatives to arrive. Waiting for relatives to leave. When we were... Uh, when when we were younger, uh, our kids, we would wait for them to fall asleep. We couldn't wait for them to finally be down for the night. We're now at a place with our teenagers where we're waiting for them to get home and wake us up so that we know that they arrived safely. We're waiting. It's a big season of waiting. It's a big heart of Advent. And sometimes the things we're waiting for are just annoying. Sometimes we're really waiting for deeper things. We're waiting for change. We're waiting for it to change. We're waiting for them to change. We're waiting for someone to come back. We're waiting for the offer. We're waiting for the text. We're waiting for things to change. I was reading about these executives at a Houston airport that were facing an issue. The issue they were facing is they were facing a phenomenal number of complaints connected to long waits at the baggage claim. Now, you know that. You've gotten off the plane. You've been traveling. Maybe you're ready to get on to, to seeing the people you're visiting, or maybe you're ready to get home after a long day of travel, and you stand at that baggage claim, and you just watch it go around. And everyone stands there, and we all watch it go around, and we're all just stuck at the mercy of this machine. And so they thought, well, how can we solve this problem and cut down on these complaints? And they said, I know. Why don't we hire more baggage handlers? We'll get the, the, the baggage out faster from the plane. We'll get it faster on the convoy or whatever, conveyor belt. We'll get it out there. So they did that, and they reduced the wait time at the baggage carousel to eight minutes, which was leading the industry. And the complaints didn't go down. So they're thinking, what can we do? How can we solve this? And then they realized something. They realized that when people got off the plane, it took them an average of one minute to walk from the gate to the baggage claim, which meant that they then had seven minutes of standing there waiting for the carousel to go around. And that was just empty time of doing nothing. So here's what they did. What do you think they did? They moved the gates further away from the baggage claim. So now uh, the, baggage, the, the bags are still coming out at the same time, but you're getting off the plane and you're walking 10 minutes and you walk and you show up and then your bag is there and you don't have any issues at all. They're happy. The complaints dropped. And I thought about that and I thought, we can wait as long as we're doing something. We can wait as long as we think something's happening. We tolerate occupied time is what I'm calling it. That's when you walk to the baggage claim, much better than unoccupied time. That's where you're standing there waiting for the bags to come out. If you can give us something to do while we wait, or if you can give us some kind of sense that something's happening while we're waiting, waiting becomes endurable. But waiting without seeing something happen robs us of peace. If you've ever downloaded something on your computer where they have uh, the little progress bar, 
I, I'm excited by that. I'm watching it. I'm watching it. Things are happening. It's moving. Sometimes, though, you download something, and it's a little circle thing, and it's going around, and you go, wait a minute. Is that, is that just for me? Like, why? What, what's happening here? And if you ever doubt some of this, you want to test this out, the next time that you have to wait longer than 15 minutes somewhere, do it with all electronics turned off. And see how long 15 minutes are. We are not used to waiting. And I wonder if, if this is one of the reasons why waiting on God is so unbearable. It just it feels like unoccupied time. Is he doing anything? And I don't know about you, but I have often felt a lot of pressure at Christmas, especially in my role, that, that, that it's supposed to be about joy. And we just sang about joy and joy to the world and everything's great. But at Christmas, I, I feel a lot of weight. I look around at the way that our country is right now, and it's just crazy beyond my imagination. And I feel that weight, and I'm waiting. I look around at some relationships and things that are going on. I, I know some of the struggles that some of you are walking through right now. I know some of the grief that I'm walking through right now. And this is a time where it feels like, is anything happening? Is God doing anything? But welcome to Advent. Advent's a call to wait, but not just to wait for God, but to wait with God in ways that can bring peace. And this Advent, we're, we're kind of having this theme of portraits, and we're stepping into portraits of hope and peace and joy and love, and we're doing that by looking at different psalms, different portraits of songs that people have written to God to express these things. Last week, we looked at a portrait of hope. We said that one of the things about hope is, is sometimes we get to hope because we're in lament. Lament is where you look and you say, I see the way God says it should be, and I see the way that it is, and they're not the same, and I'm complaining to God about this. Will you do something? But what happens after you've complained to God? That's where we find ourselves this morning in Psalm 85. Psalm 85 is not a psalm asking God for help. This is a song about we've already asked God for help, and now we're just waiting for him to respond. It's a psalm about what it feels like to wait. And I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 85. And what I want to find here is, is there anything, God, you can help us with in our waiting that will bring us some peace? Psalm 85 starts out, and let me just read the whole thing to us and let it kind of wash over us. Then we'll go back and look at a couple things. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. These are all the things you've done. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put your indignation away from, uh, put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. Let me hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace. He will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, his, that his glory may dwell in our land, where steadfast love and faithfulness meet, where righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give. Yes, the Lord will give. What is good 
our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Amen. Again, this is a community that's waiting on God, and and they've asked God to do something, and now they're just kind of affirming where they stand in the whole thing. And we don't know what the situation is they're facing. Some people think that because of some of those references to the land, that maybe they're facing some kind of economic uh, issue or perhaps agriculture issue. Maybe it's a drought, and they've been praying for rain. But this is after they've already asked God, but before he's responded. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I I read some things in there about them asking some questions. How long are you going to be angry, God? How long are you going to do this? But really, the whole thing seemed to be very confident. Seemed to be a psalm of peace. For example, look back in verse 9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, who would be us. Surely his salvation is near to us, and his glory is going to dwell in our land. Surely this will happen. They're banking on this glory. Glory dwelling in the land sounds very uh, poetic. What does that mean? Another way to say that is just, surely it's going to be life the way God intended. And it goes on. And and these are very flowery, poetic words, but just, just get this sense of what they feel like life could be like when God shows up. When God shows up, it's where steadfast love and faithfulness meet. It's where righteousness and peace say, hey, come here, give me a hug. And they just kiss each other. Mm, Missed you. It's where faithfulness is just going to spring up from the ground, where righteousness is going to look down from the sky, and where God is going to give good. This is life as God intends, and this is what they believe will happen. And again, I don't know exactly what that may look like for them. Maybe it is that the rain falls and the, the crops spring up, and once again they're having celebration. Maybe it is that there's peace in their land because the enemies have been dealt with. But they're saying, this is what we believe will happen. Surely it will. Yes, the Lord will. And until then, we wait. How do they wait with this, this attitude of, of peace? There's a, there's a confidence here. They believe it will happen. And I think it goes back to something that's said in verse 10. It's the very first two words there. Can you read those out loud? What are they? Steadfast love. Now, your Bible might translate that word in a different way. It might be uh, mercy. It might be goodness. Actually, what I really love is the translation loving kindness. They're all the same word talking about the loyal love of God. This is the part of God that does what he doesn't have to do. This is the part of God that loves beyond the obligation that he has. And this group of people in this poem are talking about this steadfast love. And In fact, they began the first few verses and they said, God, remember the time that you restored us. Remember the time that you forgave us. Remember the time that you canceled our sin. In the past, we've seen this steadfast love. And time and time again, you've rescued us from enemies. You've rescued us from situations. You've rescued us from ourselves. Times when we were in over our head and we didn't know what else to do, we called out to you and you rescued us because you are a God of steadfast love. Steadfast love is when you go beyond the obligation. Sometimes my wife and I will get into arguments, and this is a shocking thing. I'm just letting you know this could happen. We'll get in an argument because uh, I will do something that she's asked me to do, but apparently didn't do it with the right kind of attitude. Have you had that conversation before? And I am focusing on the fact that I did what you told me to do, but she seems to focus on the fact that, yeah, but you didn't seem happy doing it. 
I'm like, well, of course I wasn't happy doing it. I didn't want to do it. But we get in this argument, and one of the words that she'll use sometimes, and it's something I have to pay attention to, is you, you acted like it was an obligation or like it was a burden, and you acted like I was a burden. And I realize it's not enough for me just to do the things I'm supposed to do and be a good husband and do But there's this other part where what am I communicating in the way that I do that? Now, I tell you that to say that sometimes that's how I kind of feel with God. I kind of feel that, that, that maybe, and this makes sense, that God loves me, but he doesn't really like me. You ever feel like that? That God has this sense of, well, okay, Thomas, you know, I... I don't want to do this for you. I don't want to give you this good thing. I don't want to rescue you out of this situation, but I will because you've trusted in Jesus, so I guess I have to. And I feel that like God's up there kind of going, well, I guess I have to. But when they talk about the loving kindness or the steadfast love of God, this is a God who says, look, I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm not doing this because I signed a contract. I'm doing this because I go beyond that. In fact... Back then, they did have kind of this contract between people and God, and often the people failed their side of the contract. They didn't show loyalty to God. They didn't show steadfast love to God. They didn't focus on God and God alone. They, they would do confessions like the ones we did because they blew up their side of the agreement. And God would have been obligated, would be, have no problem saying, okay, you know what? You broke the agreement. I'm walking away. But he didn't because he's got love beyond obligation. He's abounding in steadfast love. And these people can look back to moments where God didn't just say that he loved them, but he showed them that he loved them. And so this gives them the peace that this time, this is the God we're talking to. Has there been a time in your life where you feel like God rescued you? Maybe it was in a spiritual sense. You feel like he, he really rescued you from sin or from a path you were on. Maybe it's a relational sense. He, he really rescued you from a relationship you were going to get into or one that was, was not good, and he rescued you. Or maybe he rescued you from, from yourself, and you were like, if God had given me what I wanted, oh, my goodness, so glad he didn't. God rescued you. Could you look back on those times? If it gave you a piece of paper and a pen and I said, why don't you write a psalm? Well, I don't know how to write a psalm. No, 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 but just start out by talking about thank you, God, for the times that you, what would you write? This is a God of rescue. I was speaking with someone just in between the service and he just shared with me. He said these last four years have been some of the most challenging in his life. And he recently has experienced uh, loss of someone very close to him. And he said, you know, I, I understand a little bit what you're talking about. I, even in the midst of this, I have peace. But it didn't come through getting what I wanted. It came through me knowing who God is, knowing his character for me, knowing his love for me. How do these people in Psalm 85, how does this song of confidence and peace, how does it really help us in this Advent series? Well, I, we talked about this last week. Many of us have lodged a lament towards God and we're waiting. Okay, God, here's what I'm asking. Show up. When will the prince show up? Some of us are waiting uh, for God to show up in a very big way in our world. We look around and we go, Lord, I mean, if you haven't come by now, what are you waiting on? How much worse are you going to let it get? And we're, we're seeing this big global thing or this weight in our country. For some of us, we're waiting on God to show up in a big way in just our own personal life. God, I'm dealing with this. For some of us, even this season, it might be that there's someone that you care about, that you work with, that you live with 
that you've talked to, and you realize, man, they, uh, they are just struggling right now, and Lord, would you hear them? This is the learning of Advent. Here it is. We think that peace is something that comes after the waiting. So after God shows up, then he brings peace. But the surprise of God is, while we're waiting, we can have peace. We can have some confidence. These people in Psalm 85 were waiting for an answer, but yet looking back and seeing how God had loved them in the past gave them peace that he was the kind of God that would love them in the future. And we can do the same thing. We can look back and we say, God, I'm asking you to do some things, but what kind of God am I talking to? I'm going to look back to a time when the glory of God came to dwell, where salvation came near to us, and that's the event we celebrate called the birth of Jesus Christ. And the birth of Christ, steadfast love and faithfulness met. The birth of Christ, righteousness and peace kissed each other. In his arrival, faithfulness sprung up from the ground and righteousness poured down from the sky. And in his arrival, God gave us what was good and what our land truly needed. Christ is proof of the steadfast love of God that rescues beyond obligation. No one would have faulted God if, God had, if they had said, look, God, you made all these promises, but, but look, we really haven't deserved it. We really don't, you know, we haven't acted in so, the sort of way that we are, are worth having you send as a Messiah. It, we, there, there could have been some sense of us to have that attitude, but God doesn't even get into that conversation. He says, beyond obligation, beyond what I have to do, I want to do it. I want to send my son, and I want to rescue you. And as we look back to that, we can look forward that he wants to do it again. Today you may be waiting on God to move and you're kind of stuck in that holding pattern. You're kind of watching that carousel go around wondering, when is my baggage going to drop out? When is it going to come? Maybe you don't even feel like you deserve it. But maybe today you remember that God will show his loyal love the brightest when he doesn't have to. Because peace isn't what we find on the other side of the waiting. It's what we find while we're waiting. And, and maybe this is helpful. We've talked to this before, but sometimes we have, a, when we hear the word waiting, it sounds very passive. Waiting is what I do, just kind of waiting. And again, standing at that baggage carousel at the airport, I don't know if you've ever had this feeling, but you, you, you feel so helpless because there's literally nothing you can do to make it come out any faster. There have been times where I was tempted. I was like, you know what? If I could just, if I could just jump down that hole, I know my bag is right there. Or if this lady could just move, I could just get my bag. Oh, it's going around again. It's going around. Can't do anything. Want to do something. Make it happen. But it doesn't. But that's not what waiting is when the Bible talks about waiting. The sense of waiting in the Bible is never when you're waiting on God. It's not like, well, what are you doing? I'm just waiting on God. I'm doing nothing. No, waiting on God, let me give you a different word for it. Waiting on God is the image of a waiter who is bringing food to a table. They're waiting on God. They're serving him. And the sense of waiting on God is not a passive thing. It's a very active thing. While I'm waiting for this to happen, I am doing this. I am serving in this way. While these people were waiting in Psalm 85, they didn't just say, well, I guess we're sitting around. They said, no, you know what let's do? Let's recount what God has done in our lives, and let's sing, and let's celebrate that. Waiting isn't twiddling your thumbs. It's taking God's hand and going. And I saw this yesterday in a very powerful way. Yesterday, I, along with, uh, uh, gosh, almost 1,000 people, it seems like, were at the funeral of Chuck Limbrick. 
Now, you know, last Sunday we shared about this. Cindy Limbrick came on our staff this summer. She helps us lead our services. She designs beautiful art like this for us to be really reflective on. And, and this uh, on November 30th of this year, just a week and a few days ago, her husband Chuck was killed in a car accident. So we show up to this funeral at uh, Emmanuel Missionary Baptist Church. That, that couldn't get any more churchy than, it, than if you put the temple in there. That would make the only thing else. I mean, it was, it was churchy. And, and we get in there and we sit down and it is, this place is packed. And, and I want to tell you, it was a two-hour-long funeral service. And it might be the most powerful and uplifting and positive and hope-filled funeral I've ever attended. We, we, uh, have you ever been to a funeral where people break out into spontaneous applause at least 20 times? Have you ever been to a funeral where the pastor can't finish the sermon because people are yelling and cheering and singing? Have you ever been to a funeral like that? That doesn't sound like a funeral. Several times in this funeral, I had to remind myself, wait a minute, someone is gone. Like we're, I, I got to remind myself, we're, we're here. It just felt so different. And I was thinking, why, why? At one point, we stood up and for about 10 minutes, we sang this chorus of, oh, how he loves us. What gives a thousand people who are gathered in a room because someone they love is gone this kind of peace and confidence? I think it's Psalm 85. It is looking back on the steadfast love of God. Because that's what we did for two hours. For two hours, we talked about the steadfast love of God as seen in the life of Chuck Limbrick. I don't know how much you know of Chuck's story, but Chuck made some decisions as a young man that ended him in prison for what he thought would be the rest of his life. And if he had spent the rest of his life in prison, a lot of people would have said, well, yeah, that's what you get. You know, that's what you broke the rule, and this is the rule, and so now this is where you are. But remember, we serve a God who loves what? Beyond obligation. God saw Chuck, regarded him, and rescued him, and gave him a new purpose and life in Christ, even while he was still behind bars. He was free while he was incarcerated. And while he was in prison, he wasn't just twiddling his thumbs. He wasn't just waiting and counting the laps that the baggage carousel took. He decided, look, I'm going to serve you right now where I am, Lord, and I'm going I'm to start asking you for some things. And, and people were sharing these stories about the things that he prayed for. He, he prayed, God, I, I would love it if, if, you could if I could find a way to, to be released one day and be free. Lord, I, I want to ask you if, if there ever could be a chance that I could serve you by being a worship pastor and leading other people to Christ and working in this way. And Lord, I know while I've got your ear, if there's ever a way I could find love, I'm going to ask that too. All of these laments, God heard them, and all of these promises became yes in Christ for him. And he got to experience all those things. And the room was filled with person after person who stood up and they said, let me tell you how Chuck helped me with my faith. Let me tell you the impact he had. There were a thousand people, and, and at one point someone stood up and they said, this is kind of what the kingdom looks like. Look, there's, there's black and brown and white all together. There are different churches and denominations all together, and all these people are unified by one man that everybody else had counted out. While he was waiting. Pastor got up to speak at the end. Um, I knew it was going to be a long service when the first person to get up was supposed to just pray. And they did 15 minutes of remarks before the prayer. And I was like, oh, okay, so we're not getting out in 30 minutes. This is, this is, okay, that's good. So finally, one hour and 40 minutes in, the pastor gets up. His name is Pastor Cleveland Thompson. And Jonathan Cleveland sit next to me, and I'm Thomas Thompson. And Jonathan's like, 
hey, that's kind of funny because it's our name. <laughs> and after a few minutes, I was like, yeah, Jonathan, if you and I were put together, we're like half this guy. He, it was amazing. And he was sharing about Joseph, and he was sharing about Mary and the story of Christmas. And, and just think about this, this, this thought that after they got engaged, but before they had their honeymoon, they were pregnant. After the announcements went out, after everyone's excited and all mom got, is excited and dad's excited and cousins made plans, after everyone knows, but before they could be legal, they're with child. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And they got these promises from God that they're holding on to that no one else hears. And I'm sure when they told people, no, 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 God told me that he did it. Yeah, right. No, 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 God told me I should do this. Yeah, right. No one counted them out. And it would be years before the promises they saw would come true. It would be 30-something years before this child with all these promises, they began to see the tastes of that. What everyone thought was going to be the end of the story, oh, you guys got pregnant in this culture, in this context, ah, that was the beginning of a story. And we're all here celebrating because of that. And so this morning, this Sunday morning, Cindy, who we love, Cindy's family, Chuck's family, all these people that love Chuck, that were served by Chuck, are all now stuck in another waiting pattern. When are we going to see Chuck again? And they're waiting. And maybe you're waiting. When will we see Chuck again? And waiting is not going to be easy because it's hard to wait. But in the waiting to see Chuck again, can we have peace? One of the things that we look forward to is the hope that the God who resurrected the Son is going to resurrect Chuck. And I'm counting on resurrection. I'm counting on this. And I'm counting on it because God did it in the, God did it in the past. He's going to do it again. But maybe not today. And maybe we got some more waiting to do. So my question this morning for you, great men and women of God, is this. Where do you need peace while you're waiting for love to come down. Where do you need peace today? While you're waiting for love to come down. Maybe this is something you're needing. Maybe there's someone you're thinking about right now and you go, boy, this my boss, my neighbor, my guy on my soccer team, they, boy, I'm thinking about them right now too. Where do you need peace while you're waiting for love to come down? As we wrestle with that sense of present peace and we're wondering about the future, I want to encourage you, let's look back to a God of steadfast love who says, I know you don't understand what I'm doing, but I got a plan. I'm working it out. Trust my heart. I love you, not because I have to, but because I just do. And while we wait, we don't twiddle our thumbs. We act. We, we love one another. We encourage one another. We serve our city. We light our candles in the darkness, and we cry, come, Lord Jesus. And we find peace. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come up for a minute, and I'm going to, I'm going to close this in prayer uh, with this part of it. And then uh, they're going to lead us in a song about love coming down. And I want to encourage you to hold this image in your mind of where you're needing peace. And we're going to let this song be an affirmation to God of what we are believing and hoping, just like the psalmist did in Psalm 85. So as they're getting ready to sing, I want you to join me for a moment, and let's take this question to God. Father, I know this is a season of peace on earth. 
we appeal to you, God, the true bringer of peace, that we need peace on us. I pray you'd help us to look back in our own lives on the times of rescue you've done. I pray you'd help us to look back on this time where you sent your rescue through Jesus Christ. truly believe that not because we earned it or deserved it, but that you are just that kind of God and you love us beyond obligation, that in our time of waiting, you will give us peace.